I'm Kat, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale. Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. Just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And that is our story, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Here's your disclaimer chatters. The following crime chat contains adult content and probably violent scenarios today. I imagine your listener discretion is advised. Mm-hmm. You have been warned that before we get in today's crime chat, cat, you done. And where the fuck are you? Uh, well, our theme is Alaska today. So I'm back at the Northern Lights. I got the Northern Lights behind me. You thought like Northern Lights. I thought creepy woods. <laughs> This is what I think of. <laughs> when I think of this guy, I think this. Okay. So a lot going on with the fam bam, but we won't get into that. But I will say, I my husband and I are still watching Walking Dead. We, we sprinkle that in between, but we also watched New Amsterdam on Netflix. How is that? Um. Okay. We've talked about this where my husband's more like the romantic and like he likes the, it, it reminded me of ER, Grey's Anatomy uh, kind of thing. Okay. Soap opera-y. It was the throb like who's the, well, guy? the main character like the main doctor he's the medical director of new amsterdam hospital in new york okay it really is a good series if you want to tug at my heartstrings mm. they do come out every now and then so fine <laughs> so i will say it's actually it is it is pretty good it turned out to be pretty good series and i i'll recommend it okay. i'll recommend it not normally my go-to but i'll recommend it all right sometimes you gotta step away from murder and blood and and you just gotta go romance well there's a lot of blood because they that's in the uh-huh. er primarily takes place in the er so there's there's still a lot of that okay. <laughs> that's what got me in no i'm just kidding what about you <laughs> so i watched two movies the first one i watched was the dead don't die came out in 2019 it starred bill murray and adam driver have oh, you ever watched this one no it has like an all-star cast <laughs> it's dark comedy something happened with the earth where it came off its access and now there's zombies running around yeah bill murray does an awesome job it is funny Okay. It's uh, it's a little odd, but it's funny, so I do recommend it. Okay. The other movie I watched was, actually, I watched it because of the story that I am doing today, Ooh. and that is the 1994 movie, Surviving the Game with Ice-T and Gary Busey. Have you ever seen it? No. Maybe if I saw, like, the movie poster, you know, how sometimes visually you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cheesy 90s movie. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Total cheese whiz. There's, like, cops cheese wearing whiz. sunglasses at night. Yeah. <laughs> But it's good. It's good. Good. (laughs) No, okay. So it kind of sets the scene for today-ish. Is it... Is it a movie related to your story or just kind of similar? It's pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. So not a movie versus reality, but mm. <laughs> but since your story is covering the northern, most northern state of the United States, uh-huh. uh, which I can't wait to hear because I don't remember it. Like, I don't really know anything about it, but I do want to quickly cover Alaskan crimes kind of in general. Okay. Did you know last year in 2022, Alaska was named as the most dangerous state in America? I don't know much about Alaska. I have to admit. Well, I have. I don't know much about it either. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it has the highest violent crime and property crime rate out of all 50 states. Really? That's interesting. Yes. Uh, and this goes back for like many years. I'll, I'll go back and kind of talk about some of the previous statistics and stuff. But in the Daily Mail article I found from 2020, it said Alaska had one of the longest high crime rates in U.S. history. And this could be due to a couple things the criminologists in the article were kind of referencing. Mm. One, men outnumbered women. Uh. Two, excessive alcohol consumption. I mean, uh-huh. when in the wintertime, 
you've got three hours or sometimes no daylight at all. And then also because the land is so vast, the coverage of police is very thin, you know, kind of throughout the whole territory. Uh -huh. However, from another report I found from October of last year, 2022, Alaska's reported violent crime rate did decrease by 9.7% in 2021. So at least it did go down a little bit and it includes fewer instances. When I say violent crime, I'm talking about murder, robbery, rape, aggravated assault. We talked about that a little bit a few episodes ago with what the FBI defines as right. violent crime, right? Alaska's property crime rate also decreased by 17.3% from 2021. And then the total number of reported property offenses was also at its very lowest since 1974. So that's a good thing, yeah. right? So maybe last year it kind of decreased a little bit. Uh -huh. But with a population of nearly 740,000 people, aggravated assault is one of the most common types of crime in Alaska with 4,220 to incidents reported just last year. That's a lot. Hmm. Sexual assault is also a major problem uh -huh. in Alaska with over 1,100 incidents reported, which is among the highest in the nation per capita, you know, per as related to like the population, right? So also in 2020, there was a reported 6,126 total violent crimes, 49 homicides, which is 6.7 murders for every 100,000 people. That's a lot. It's kind of how they calculate yes. it. So, and then homicides jumped to the largest annual increase ever recorded in 2020 from uh, totaling 21,570 all-time murders huh. since Alaska was a thing. <laughs> Oh, since Alaska was like a territory, mm -hmm. right? Although Alaska has a murder rate that's closely in line with the national average, its overall violent crime rate, which includes the aggravated assaults and, and so on, is far higher than average. There were a total of 837.8 violent crimes reported for every 100,000 people. Now, the murder rate was 6.7 for every 100,000 people. The violent crimes rate, 837 for every uh, 100,000 people. That's crazy crazy as compared to 399 per 100,000 people nationwide so it's oh, more than doubled uh -huh. essentially a couple other things really quick so from onlyinyourstate.com have you ever looked at that website i love it check it out that looks like a fun website <laughs> so it talks about the, all the different states and you can break it down by different topics so but i did pull out the top five most violent cities oh in alaska okay. you have to tell me if one of these okay. is the city that you're, you're doing okay okay number one unfortunately is a small town of i'm gonna butcher mm. this but katsubi Kotzebue. It takes first place on the list of the most dangerous cities in Alaska. And even though the population is small, only at about 3,200 people, the odds of being a victim of property crime or violent crime are very high, a 1 in 30 chance. Wow. And a 1 in 23 chance of having someone commit a property crime against Oof. you. So violent crime, 1 in 30. Property crime, 1 in 23. Huh. Kenai, again, I'm going to butcher these names, ranks as a second for most dangerous city overall in Alaska, but it actually holds the top spot for property crime. As a resident of Kenai, you have a 1 in 14 chance of somebody committing a property crime against you. But for violent crime, it's some of the lowest odds, a 1 in 127 chance. But then number three, no surprise, Anchorage, Alaska, uh -huh. right? That should be in there. So it's the largest city in Alaska. Uh -huh. While the city does include some dangerous places to avoid when visiting Alaska, the good thing is that Anchorage has dropped in this list as the most violent city. So it's number three now. So that's a good thing. Okay. Progress. Any progress is yes, good progress, yes. right? <laughs> there is sadly a 1 in 76 chance of being a victim of a violent crime and then a 1 in 20 chance of being a victim of property crime. Too high for me. <laughs> uh, number four is the capital city. What's the capital of Alaska? Let's Google it. Alexa, what's the capital of Alaska? Alaska's capital is Juneau. Juneau. Oh, I love that movie. Juneau. Okay. okay. So number four, the capital city of Juneau 
has almost 32,000 people ranked number four on this list. It actually has become safer as well as Anchorage over the years and dropped in most recent years. So one in 20 chance of property crime being committed or one in 120 chance of violence performed against you. So being a victim of violence. Mm. I mean, there's more, it was more cities that were broken down, but I just included the top five. Mm -hmm. Number five is Wasilla, a population of 10 and a half thousand people still stood the second most dangerous city in Alaska for property crimes, not private crimes, property crimes. There is a one in 16 chance of being a property owner and having a crime committed against you in Wasilla. Violent crime rates are the lowest on the list. However, one in 172 chance of being a victim of a violent crime. So those are the top five most violent areas. I did, when I was looking kind of in the statistics and stuff, it was like I typed in like Alaska crimes yeah. and it was, you know how sometimes it gives you recommended questions uh-huh. in Google? Why should I avoid Alaska? What are the high crimes in Alaska? Like I was like, oh gosh, maybe, uh, maybe I won't go to Alaska. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of bases up there. So I've got some friends that have been stationed up there. And so when I see them post, they post pictures of, like, really pretty, like, northern lights and stuff. And yeah. I'm just like, ah. But, okay, one last note. Historically speaking, some other state statistics for Alaska. Mm-hmm. In 1985, a Chicago Tribune article reported that Alaska had the United States' third highest per capita murder rate in 1985, which number one was probably New York. I don't know. <laughs> or Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> In 2008, there were almost 25,000 crimes reported in Alaska, including 27 murders, 20,097 property crimes, and 445 rapes. Yeah. 2014 increased just a little bit. 25,018 crimes reported in Alaska, including 41 murders, Mm. 20,334 property crimes, and 555 rapes. Mm. In 2019, Mm. there were 27,811 crimes reported in Alaska, including 70 murders, 21,469 property crimes, and 1,101 rapes. Too many rapes for me. It's a lot of rapey. Yeah, creepy. <laughs> On the last note, capital punishment is not applied in Alaska, <laughs> having been abolished by the territorial legislature prior to becoming a United State territory. And that's a little bit of your criminal history of Alaska, so maybe we'll understand where the story is coming from a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That was good. Maybe. Like, I didn't know any of that. Alaska. But you, did you know the state motto is North to the Future? I didn't. Okay. Describe it as the last American frontier, and I've heard that before. I've heard that before as well. Alaska is larger than Texas, California, and Montana combined. And if you're not from the United States, it's bigger than France, Germany, and Britain combined. The population, as you said before, consists about 700,000, 702, 704,000 residents. Nonetheless, Mm -hmm. there is no place on earth like it. The terrain consists of beautiful ocean coasts, rushing rivers, magnificent mountain peaks, famous glaciers, and an abundance of wildlife. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I will not go there. I'm not good with wildlife. (laughs) Our crime chat today will take us to Anchorage, Alaska. Yes. Number three, formerly number one. Uh We're going to take a a deep icy dive into the case (laughs) of the Butcher Baker, a.k.a. the Alaskan Human Hunter. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, so I kind of think I've, I feel like I think, I think I thought I feel like I remember Butcher Baker. There's a reason why we don't, and I'll, it's at the end of the story. Okay. So he's not in my coloring book. He's not in your coloring book. But you can draw him and then color him in. Oh, I'll add him in the back of the pa- blank page. Just do a stick figure. <laughs> I was just saying it's going to be a stick figure with stick hand like this with blood dripping yeah. down. <laughs> 
Okay, so on September 12, 1982, John Daly Holloway and two off-duty Anchorage police officers spent the afternoon hunting along Nick River. Two men noticed something sticking up out of the sand, and it turned out to be a partially decomposed bone. <laughs> they immediately reported it, marked it off as a potential crime scene to further not contaminate the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. During the meticulous search of the crime scene, investigators found a single shell casing of a, a .223 caliber bullet. Mm-hmm. Is that the way you say it? Yeah, yeah, two- 223 so that would be like 2.23 so 556 is another one you might be familiar with which is basically like double the size of the caliber and the power of this okay so this is not a big gun this is a handgun a rifle no it would be a rifle mostly i'm pretty sure it would be a rifle if it's yeah okay that was a test by the way Ah, was it bam So a preliminary autopsy revealed that the victim was female and had been dead for approximately six months. The cause of death was three gunshot wounds with a 223 caliber bullet. Mm. Ace bandages were found with the remains causing the investigators to suspect that the victim was either blindfolded at the time of death or maybe something around her face. Mm. It wasn't stuffed in the mouth or anything. It could have been. Like, they don't know where it came from, but it was with the remains. Okay. And it took them over two weeks to finally identify the body and was 24-year-old Cheryl Moreau, a dancer from Wild Cherry Bar in downtown Anchorage. That kind of dancer? That kind of dancer. Okay. The one that I think I am in the bedroom, but no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not judging. I'm just trying to clarify. Just for clarification purposes. She was a stripper. She was a stripper. Yes. Have you ever seen that movie, um, what is it, True Lies? Oh, yes. With Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, what's her name? Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. And her dancing in the bedroom. And falling. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my gosh. Sherry was last seen on November 17th, 1981, and according to friends, she was going to meet a man that offered her $300 to pose for some pictures. Mm. This was a thing then. Uh-huh. Yeah. Getting pe- suckering people in by take say, oh, I'm a photographer. I'll take your picture, make you famous. That sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar. Uh, Kala. Yep, Rodney Kala. So over the next two years, there was a sudden increase in numbers of missing people reports, um, mm-hmm. which were of topless dancers and prostitutes. Now, prostitutes tend to be loners, mm-hmm. often travel from city to city, so it's hard to track them down when they go missing mm-hmm. because they may show up in another city. They're just kind of jumping on a truck right. and moving to another city. In the 70s, a lot of women were drawn to Anchorage from the lower 48. The lower 48, yep. That's what Alaskans call us. Because Hawaii's not included. Hawaii's an island. It's off on its own little thing. Right. So the the co- continental U.S. is the 48 state. Right. So men took over the landscape during this time by the thousands. Mm-hmm. They were building the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline and the Dalton Highway. Mm-hmm. Most of them were construction workers and they had a little cash on hand. Sure. Most of them would visit the local strip bars i mean that's what they do they they drink and try to stay warm and there's not i mean there's good hunting and like good other activities and stuff but only not not Uh around the year not year round or whatever and if you're out there doing construction and you're in the cold weather all day you're gonna want to be nice and warm and toasty inside somewhere and if you see some boobies then cool And these strip bars probably served lunch, dinner, so they can, they oh, can yeah. you know, socialize with their friends and see boobies. And see boobies. <laughs> so investigators did not think that this was related to the disappearance of at least three other women in 1980. Mm-hmm. So the Alaskan State Trooper Sergeant Lyle Hogsmeade investigation took him to two possible theories. One, he believes that there were two links at the time. The first possible link was, a t- well, it was two unsolved cases. Mm-hmm. The first one was on a construction site 
site during a dig, some workers discovered mm-hmm. partial remains of a woman buried in a shallow grave. Animals had taken most of her body away, mm. so there was mm. very little evidence mm. at the scene. Yeah. They could not identify her, so police gave her the name Annie. Okay. The second unsolved case was a body found a nearby gravel pit. The victim was later identified as Joanne Messina, mm-hmm. a local topless dancer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her body was really badly decomposed, and there was little evidence at the scene. On June 13, 1983, everything seemed to turn around. Earlier that evening, a trucker was passing through downtown. Did they have a downtown, but he was passing through town. He was just passing through. When he noticed a frantic young girl waving her arms and calling him, the girl had a pair of handcuffs dangling from one of her wrists, and her clothes were disheveled and ripped. Ooh. She asked the trucker if he would take her to the Big Timber Motel. Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. Once inside, she asked the front desk clerk if she could call her pimp to meet her there. So don't call the police. Don't call the police. Probably a prostitute. Yeah, because I mean, to be honest too, if she, if she probably would have gotten the shit kicked out of her by your pimp if she would have called the police and not him first. Yeah, and she waited outside this poor girl mm-hmm. although pimp was coming. Mm-hmm. The truck driver drove straight to the Anchorage Police Department to report the incident. Officer Greg Baker arrived at the motel. This poor girl was still outside alone in handcuffs. Mm. I know. She began telling him this extraordinary story. She stated that she had been approached on the street by a 40-ish red hair man offering her $200 oral sex. She agreed to the price and midway mm-hmm. through the act the man handcuffed her and pulled a gun out on her. Oh, okay. He told her if she cooperated, he would not kill her. He drove to his house in the upper class area not far from town. Inside, the man brutally raped her and beat her. She stated mm. at one point he shoved the handle of a hammer in her vagina. Oh! I know. All women listening to this right now just winched. Cringing. Yeah. After this brutal rape and assault, the man said he was going to fly her to his cabin in the mountains and told her that he would let her go if she cooperated. They drove to Merrill Field Airport and he pushed her into a small plane. Oh gosh. Just terrifying. And and it's probably, it's Alaska. It's probably dark and desolate and it's yeah. just like the worst situation for a woman. Yeah. She stated that she knew she was in serious trouble and that the man was probably going to kill her in the cabin. She waited until his back was turned. She pushed him and ran for her life. According to her, he chased her at first but then he stopped because he saw the truck coming down the road and she was waving mm-hmm. at the trucker. I just looked back up and it said it was in June so this is probably the time of the year where the sun goes down maybe an hour a day so no matter you know it could have been two o'clock in the morning but the sun could still could have been up. Oh yeah so he definitely had to get out of there because the trucker could have could have seen him. Identify him. Or, yeah identified yeah. Police took her to Merrillfield Airport hoping that she can identify the plane. She spotted the blue and white Piper Super Cub. Police checked it out and revealed that the plane belonged to a Robert C. Henson. Officers went directly to the Hanson house. Hanson became outraged when he was confronted with these girl, the girls' charges. He claimed he never met her and that she was probably trying to shake him down for money. Sure. To him, the entire story was absurd. He went on saying that his wife and two children are vacationing in Europe and that he spent the entire evening with two friends. His alibi at the time checked out. No formal charges were filed. Hmm. Unfortunately, no other arrests or leaves were made at the time, but on September 2nd, 1983, investigators were called to a scene of another grisly discovery. According to the reports in the Anchorage Daily News, another body was found and the remains were partially decomposed and buried in a shallow grave. Mm. The victim was identified as 17-year-old Paula Gold. 
She was a topless dancer and a prostitute. She was reported missing five months prior. Uh, an autopsy revealed that she had been shot with a two twenty three caliber bullet. Mm. Investigators were now convinced that they had a serial killer on their hands, and they contacted the FBI for assistance. They said, John Douglas, help. You gotta stop. This is like we're on the same brain right now, okay? We're functioning on the same fucking brain. <laughs> This was not the first time Alaska authorities had to deal with a serial killer. Okay. Their last attempt, they decided not to contact the FBI. It did not end well. So between 1979 and 1981, serial killer Thomas Richard Bunday, who murdered at least five people in the Fairbanks area, mm-hmm. police decided not to involve the FBI on this one. And when they finally discovered who their killer was, he was already on the run. Just one hour after his arrest warrant was issued, he committed suicide by plowing his motorcycle head first into a truck. That'll do it. That'll do the job, yeah. Yeah. So the FBI is known for its work in serial murder investigations and this time everyone in the department agreed that yes, we should contact the FBI and we should just put their resources in work, right? <laughs> hey, John, are you there? We need help. So you're going to love the next sentence. <laughs> in response, the FBI decided to send Special Agent John Douglas <laughs> A legendary figure in law enforcement to help profile Alaska's latest serial killer, Cat. Tell us about John Douglas. Give us some some stuff that you love about him. I mean, he was way before his time. He, he thought way out of the box when it came to providing profiles. And not everything is always as it seems or as it appears to be. And, I mean, uh, define serial killer. Yeah. And we are obsessed with him. So if you check out our Facebook page, you see John Douglas <laughs> everywhere. We're obsessed with him. We totally are. John. He's brilliant. So many local investigators felt that Robert Henson was still a viable suspect and were anxious to share their suspicions with Douglas. In, in 1996, Douglas wrote the book Mindhunter inside the mm-hmm. FBI elite serial crime unit, which we all know. And there's also a Netflix series. We've talked about that series. Uh-huh. Come, That's the one that we were talking about last week. They were like, there's another one that's coming out that we don't know when it's going to come out. It was Mindhunter. You know when it's coming out? No, they said it's not because they remember they, they stopped all recording yeah. and released people from their contract but didn't say that they're done with it. Right. It was, they were losing money on it. Netflix was is basically what they were saying. But I think there's been enough demand for yeah. it that maybe not next year but maybe the year after we'll, we'll have another Mindhunter and we'll finally see how they catch PTK. That's right. Because, yeah, that's where they left it. They had, um, they talked to, I'm having a blank. Um, they did the Wayne Williams, the Atlanta. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. They talked to Manson. Manson. A couple, you know, a couple of the famous ones, but they were, yeah. they're teasing throughout all the seasons, the BTK. And of course they left us hanging. And the one guy's wife, I don't know if it was the John Douglas, if it was the character after him, but the one guy's wife left him. Right. Like he came home one day from a trip and all the stuff was gone. In his real life? So I don't know how real that part is in the story. Okay. Like in John Douglas. But anyways, look, Netflix, we need closure. We do. With Mindhunter. We need closure. We don't want to mess with us. John, make it happen. <laughs> okay, sorry. We took another rabbit trail. So, John Douglas developed a profile. He stated, someone who was well-integrated and liked in the community, who worked for himself so he didn't have to answer to anyone, an avid outdoorsman with low self-esteem who was afraid to talk to women. I could see that. Mm-hmm. could see that. Just by some of the victims that you described. Yeah. Yeah. Douglas said that the suspect is very likely to have a speech impediment, which is very unique. Well, that, that would attribute to some, well, that would attribute to some of the low self-esteem issues. Yeah. Inability 
anxiety or uncomfortable to talking to yeah. women because they're going to judge me and they may not be attracted to me because I can't speak to them clearly. Yeah. But that just shows you how brilliant he was. That he oh, pulled absolutely. that one thing out and he's like, yep, he's probably going to have this and that. Mm-hmm. Douglas continued. He said that the perpetrator specifically chose prostitutes and topless dancers because the majority were transients and usually get unnoticed if yep. they go missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think they learned a lot, especially, well, this was 83. So in that time frame, they were learning a lot about some of the victims and with them mm-hmm. being, you know, prostitutes. And we were coming off of serial killer 70s. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. yep. Douglas decided to look into their suspicion and look into Robert Hansen's background. He took note that the Hansen was a small stature. Uh. He had really bad acne that left scars on his face. Mm-hmm. And he suffered from a severe speech impediment. Several investigators were familiar with Henson and they said that he was known around the area as a proficient hunter. He earned his reputation after hunting wild doll sheep with a crossbow. Douglas surmised might have turned his attention to a more interesting prey. Mm. Profile of Hansen told investigators that if Hansen was the killer, he was probably saving small souvenirs from his victims, like trophies. Yep. Everyone agreed the way to rule out Hansen as a suspect would be for investigators to find the loophole in his alibi. Okay. Douglas told the investigators, once again, Douglas, he's giving me chills. He told the investigators, you know what, bring his friends in and then threaten them with charges if they were found out to be lying to investigators. Like, just put it out there. Not be a bully, mm-hmm. but just tell them, like, dude, if, you, if you're if you're lying right now. Or even, like, as a law enforcement, though, it's situation dependent, but you can lie to people that you talk to. Uh-huh. And you can say, look, I know you're lying. Even if you don't know that, you can still say it just to see. Because yeah. if they're not lying, they're not lying. And if they are, right. then you got to watch them squirm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the police sergeant, Glenn Fluff, and yes, that's his name. Fluff. Fluff. Fluffy! Decided to bring the two men in, his alibis, for questioning. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, the strategy worked. Both men confessed that they were not with Richard Henson on the night that the young girl was abducted and brought to the airport. Investigators also learned that he was committing insurance fraud, oh. which is just another thing to bring him in on. Yeah. Apparently, he reported a, bur- a blurt... Blurgery. <laughs> Wait, are you Apparently- drinking wine? <laughs> Blurgery. What else is there to do? <laughs> You're in Alaska. I'm alone in the woods. <laughs> Apparently, he reported a burglary to police, which he was missing several items. That never occurred. He collected money from the insurance company. Mm. Sergeant Fluff went to Judge Carlson with a 48-page affidavit. He secured eight search warrants. On October 27th, 1983, investigators followed Henson to work and asked him to come into the police station for questioning. Henson never even bothered to ask them why. He was just like, sure, why not? He was just Mm -hmm. cocky. Simultaneously, two groups of investigators served him warrants. Mm. Investigators found weapons throughout his house and his bakery, but nothing implicated Henson in the murders until one of the officers discovered a hidden space in the attic rafters. Mm -hmm. They found a Remington 552 rifle, a Thompson 7mm pistol, an aviation map with specific locations marked off on them, mm-hmm. various pieces of jewelry, newspaper mm-hmm. clippings, that's a big one. A Winchester 12 gauge shotgun, a driver's license, various ID cards, and the most important piece of evidence was a 223 caliber rifle. Mm-hmm. Who the 
hell is Robert Hansen? We know this is going on. Like, who the hell is he? Tell me about him. Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15, 1939 in Esterville, Iowa, to Christian Hansen, a Danish immigrant baker, and his wife, Edna Hansen. He had a difficult upbringing. His father was very strict and insistent that his son work long hours at the family's bakery. Robert was considered small for his age. His face had severe acne and sores all over it. Mm. Although he was naturally left-handed, his parents forced him to use his right hand, and in later years, he claimed that this resulted in stress. His slight stuttering problem got worse and worse. Okay, okay. In 1957, Hansen graduated from high school and then enlisted into the Army Reserves. Following basic training, he spent the rest of his time working at the father's bakery and sometimes volunteering as a junior police instructor at the local police office. Mm-hmm. Well, 1960, he fell in love and he married a local girl. I don't know her name, so I cannot find her name. That This is his first marriage. Okay. The first major event in Robert's life occurred on December 7th, 1960. As payback for the bullying and abuse of his peers, he burned down the school bus garage. Oh. So, a friend turned him in. His wife was so ashamed of her husband's actions, she immediately filed for divorce. He only served 20 months for this. There were other issues going on. There were definitely other issues going on. There were subsurface issues that... She was waiting for, like, one opportunity to be like, Yeah. Bye. Bye. So shortly after his release, he met another young girl. They hit it off, and he married again in 1963 to a Darla Marie. Darla was a very religious woman with strong morals. She was working to get her master's Mm -hmm. degree in education, and in 1967, they decided to move to Anchorage, Alaska. There, they had two children. Life was quiet. Life was good. Mm. He was treated well by the residents of Anchorage. He soon gained the reputation as a great outdoorsman and a hunter. Mm -hmm. He would hunt doll sheep, wolves, bear with a rifle and a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. 1969, 1970, and 1971, he received trophies for his skills in hunting. Awesome. So. But (laughs) there's more. There's more. In 1977, he was arrested for stealing a chainsaw and sentenced to five years in prison. While he was in prison, a psychiatrist concluded that Henson suffered from bipolar affective disorder. This is also known as manic depression. This disorder is associated with episodes of mood swings ranging from depressive lows and highs. Mm -hmm. Due to this, the court ordered him to take lithium to control his mood swings. It reminds me of that uh, that, um, Julia Michaels song, I Got Issues. (laughs) When I'm, what is it? When I'm down, I get real down. When I'm high, I don't come down. (laughs) It's like one or the other. We got issues. We got issues. So this order was never enforced, and Robert was released after serving just one year. In the early 80s, Robert opened his own bakery on the corner of Ninth and Ingram. By this time, Robert and his problems with the law were truly behind him, and his business was doing well, and he was considered a successful and respected member of his community. Well liked. That was in the profile. And we're going to fast forward back to the police station headquarters on October 27, 1983. We're going back to the future. We're going back to the future. (laughs) Robert denied any involvement in the murders. He grew tired of the allegation and requested an attorney. Robert was placed under arrest and charged with assault, kidnapping, and a weapons charge. Also, the theft of insurance fraud. On November 3rd, 1983, an Anchorage grand jury returned four indictments against him. First degree assault and kidnapping, Mm -hmm. five counts of misconduct, possession Mm -hmm. of a handgun, theft in the second degree, and theft by deception insurance for it. Hansen pleaded not guilty to 
all charges. At this time, the ballistic okay. yeah. test result came back from the FBI crime lab in Washington, D.C., and they determined that the shell casings found mm -hmm. at the grave sites had all been fired by his rifle, his 223. So given the massive evidence building against him, Robert's defense attorney, Fred Dewey, met with the Anchorage DA. The DA offered Robert a deal in exchange for a full confession. The DA guaranteed him that he would only be charged for four cases mm. with the ballistics linked him to three murders and the kidnapping. Okay. And he would be able to serve his time in a federal facility rather than a maximum security institution. Okay. He agreed to the terms and then Robert Hansen began describing his abductions. <laughs> Robert stated that once he got a victim under his control, he would normally take them with his plane and fly them to the remote cabin. Mm -hmm. He would brutally rape them, torture them, and then afterwards he would strip them down naked, sometimes going as far as blindfolding them, and then set them free in the woods to run away. Robert would give his victims a brief head start. He stated the women were turned loose naked in the Alaskan wilderness. Then he would grab his high-powered rifle, and then he would go hunt them like prey. He would toy with them, allowing them to believe that they escaped before killing them. Robert said that it was like going after a trophy doll sheep or a bear. He stated that he started attacking and hunting women in 1971. Oh my. This is 1983. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a minute. He targeted sex workers because they wouldn't be missed. Mm -hmm. He would also take pieces of like jewelry and trophies to keep mm -hmm. for himself. Mm -hmm. Robert provided a large aerial map of the region. He identified 15 grave sites, 12 of which were uh, unknown to the investigators. Like they were like, what? You did what? Like they didn't even think about that area. Yeah. yeah. So these grave sites were even, they were nearly impossible to get to without having a plane. Mm. Investigators decided, you know what? We're going to fly him to each of these locations and he's going to point out exactly where he left these women. Good. The first stop was the Nick River. Then it was Jim Creek heading south, then west to Horseshoe Lake. Okay. Every stop, Robert led investigators to the site. Now heavily covered with snow, they would mark the trees with orange paint and they would need to wait for winter to end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what Alaska looks like in the winter. Sure. I think we have chatters in Alaska, so let us know. Let us know. Okay. Let us know what it looks like out there. Give us some pictures. Send them to us. We want to see. Give us some scary pictures. I want to see every time, you know, when people send pictures from Alaska, it's always like what we're cat sitting. It's always like the northern lights and like, because we all know Alaska's beautiful and we get it. Wait a minute. Wait. So are we visibly describing our personalities right now? That you're, you kind of go to the light bright side and I always go to the, the dark. <laughs> Did we just do that? You're an optimist and I'm a pessimist. I was going to say that, actually. <laughs> John Douglas would have a field day with us. He would. Uh, by the end of that day, that one day, Robert revealed 12 grave sites of unknown women. Robert pleaded guilty on February the 18th, 1984, for only four counts of murder. Okay. Who, mm -hmm. And these were the identified victims by the ballistics. Also, the still identified Annie. They still don't know who that girl is. Okay. They just gave her the name, but he, he is now linked to her murder through ballistics. Okay, okay. And also Sherry Monroe. Uh, Paula Gold and Joanna Messing. He was a 
also charged for the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson, who was the girl with the handcuffs. The one that got away. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, he probably was doing the same thing that he did with the other ones, but there was somebody that was, I mean, she, that was a divine intervention right there. Yeah. On February 27th, a superior court judge sentenced Henson to 461 years without possibility of parole. Alaska, as you said before, they don't have the death penalty. Right. But he requested that he be imprisoned out of state to lessen the chance that he run across people who knew him or his victims. Okay. And that his case be kept out of the media. That's why we don't know. That was part of his deal with the DA. Okay. He was sent to the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. Okay. In May 1984, the snow cleared out enough for investigators to start digging the marked sites Mm -hmm. that Robert took them to. They found Mm -hmm. seven more bodies, but five remained unfound. So five people that he said he buried there, they could not find. After the snow melted and everything, they couldn't find. Couldn't locate the body, but he said that he buried somebody there. So the recovered victims and locations were as follows. Sulu Nadi, Nick River, uh, Malay Larson by the parking area of Old Nick River, Lynn Fry at Horseshoe Lake, Teresa Watson, Kenai Peninsula, Kenai, you mentioned Kenai. Uh, Kenai, yeah, we said Kenai was in the top five most dangerous cities. Oh boy, okay. Angela Better along the Figure Eight Lake, Tamara Peterson, Lisa Fatrell near the Old Nick Bridge. Nick Bridge was like his his spot, the Nick Lake, Nick River, Nick Bridge. Did he live? Close Close to it. No. Like it was a familiar territory. Oh, okay. He flew there. He oh, because he had his own plane. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Duh. He eventually <laughs> confessed to killing an additional 17 women in the Alaskan wilderness, bringing his total to 21, including the four that he was okay. convicted of. Robert was transported to Spring Creek Correctional Center in Alaska in 1988, where he was incarcerated until May 2014. He was then transported to Anchorage correctional complex for medical care due to his failing health. Mm. Three months later, Mm -hmm. in August 2014, he died, natural causes, at 75. Mm. So, Robert Hansen, the world is better without you. Bye! Some movies that I think that are worth watching that were inspired by him. Mm-hmm. The 2013 film entitled The Frozen Ground, which I've got to see. This starred Nicolas Cage as the Alaska State Trooper investigating the slayings. Mm-hmm. And John Cusack, who I love. He played Henson. Ooh. I gotta see that. Okay. The Frozen Ground. Okay. It's on Amazon. Okay. The Henson case also inspired the thriller Naked Fear in 2007. Okay. That starred Danielle DeLuca as the dancer stalked by the hunter in New Mexico. Different perspective, not from the killer, but from the person getting stalked. Okay. We have The Hunting for Bambi, which is a video series depicts the real hunt similar to the Henson activities. I've never heard of this. It says, Hunting for Bambi is a series of hoax videos publicized in the summer 2003 that center on a fictional competition of hunting semi-naked women with paintball guns in the deserts of Las Vegas. My God. What is wrong with people? Right? Mm. And the next one is Um, an episode of the Discovery Channel TV series The FBI Files depicted his murderous rampage entitled Hunter's Game. Mm. That is the Alaskan human hunter aka the butcher baker. I don't remember that story. But no, that's crazy. That is um, a, that is part of the reason why there's fear. Mm -hmm. And and we talked about it a few episodes ago about some, why some people are attracted to like thrillers and like horror Mm -hmm. is because it's, it's that 
you know, get an adrenaline rush with the fear of the unknown. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? I mean, if we go out and we go camping in Alaska, you never know what's going to happen. I won't be there. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> so... So, ironically, when I watched that movie, Surviving the Game, mm-hmm. the hero was trying to figure out all this stuff. I'm like, this is exactly how I would do it. First of all, <laughs> somebody lets me go and is going to hunt me. I'm not going to run into the woods. I'm going to backtrack. Listen, don't give your perpetrator safe haven. Yeah. I'm going to go back to that cabin and either lock it down with me inside or yeah. burn it the fuck down. Oh, so he's as lost as I am in those woods. <laughs> What's There's a, a, a movie that's got three series in it um and i can't think of the name of it but basically the girl was like brutally raped uh-huh. and then she goes back and starts killing all of the people that raped her and when they showed the movie the movie is very graphic i cannot remember the name of it is this a really old movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's... was this miss 45 no okay because there was a movie back in the 80s called miss 45 which was a girl that was brutally raped and then she went back and she had like a 45 millimeter or whatever they called oh she just clever <laughs> <laughs> no the one so the one guy was actually in the movie Movie, he was a cop he sodomized her mm-hmm. and in one of the rapes or whatever and then she goes back and when she catches him she sodomized him with a shotgun you gotta find out what this movie is i can't i can't think of the name of it it's and i think we i think we own it <laughs> the dvd <laughs> i can't think of the name of it right now but it's very brutal anyways i hope you enjoyed my story yes but because we don't want to leave you hanging for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on Patreon. Don't forget to follow us on all of our socials, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok to see what we have coming up. Crime Chat with Nat and Cat. Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and also check out some merch in the works. And be sure to check out our next episode with another Robert Hansen, but the, but the spy the kind. Spy kind. The super spy kind. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you on the next Crime Chat. Chatters. Bye. Bye.